Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. To quote one, Cameron Newton, I'm back. I'm not exactly sure what the Panthers were hoping for when they brought Cam back in last week or when they brought him back last week. But things started off pretty damn well. A 34-10 win at Arizona. 34. And a couple of TDs on his first two touches. Like, how many of you saw that coming? Wait, don't answer. Shut up, Ritt. Ritt's got his hand up. Come on, Ritt. How many of you saw that coming? <laughs> don't answer. Especially you, Ritt. I'll answer it for you. None of you. Zero. None of you saw that coming. Zero. A team that looked like it was circling the drain now has some life and is somehow, some way, right back in the playoff hunt. P.J. Walker started the game. He then had Carolina down to the two-yard line. Then he turned it over to Cam, and Cam did what he used to always do when he was there the first time around. We sign with the Panthers on Thursday. Newton takes the snap, and he is in for a Panthers touchdown. Makes me laugh. Fox on the call. Makes me laugh. The I'm back. And then he chased out with another TD on his second play of the game. First and goal from the Arizona two. Newton throws. End zone. Touchdown. Robbie Anderson on Newton's first pass attempt in his return to the Carolina Panthers. Look at this dude. Man, did Ritt ever need that. Man, did Carolina ever need that. In the worst way. And not just the productivity, right? Not just the tutties, but the energy, the juice that he gave them. We're talking about a team that had lost five of six. They had just been humiliated by the Patriots, who, by the way, look pretty freaking dangerous right about now. More on them shortly. But as it relates to the Panthers, man, I'm telling you, their season was on life support. Hell, most had already ripped the cord out of the wall on these guys. They were flatlining. They were DOA. Then they announced they're going to bring Cam back. Great, I guess. But how much could he really do? Cam himself admitted the following. Well, I put it like this. This time last week, I was eating a bowl of cereal. <laughs> you feel me? So that just puts things into perspective. Dude, I do feel you. And that does put things into perspective. It really does. But it does not answer all the necessary questions, such as what was in the bowl. I hate to admit this, but I am a guy that still gets into the pantry. I am a guy that will still fill that bowl up. I got to know, Cam, what was in the bowl? Cap'n Crunch? Or one of those fake cereals where the manufacturer gets you to think that you're eating something healthy, when in reality, you're just smashing the equivalent of spoonfuls of sugar. Not judging. I mean, I do the same. I just want to know what that guy had in the bowl. Not because I'm thinking that I can start pumping that fuel into me and have similar results, but because I really want to know what cereal that dude was eating. That aside, I mean, like my guy Chris Beard, Lucky Charms, man. We know this. We know this, right? You know that famous story about Chris Beard and Lucky Charms. And my man randomly will shoot me a text, pregame meal of him. He still eats the charms. So I just need to know, Cam, like, what's in the bowl? That aside, this dude shows up, and two plays in, it was like he had never even left. Pretty wild. 
One moment, dude is pounding bowls of cereal. The next, he's helping keep that team season alive. I mean, life comes at you pretty quickly, right? Am I right? You know who else knows that? You know who else knows that, but unlike Cam, in the worst way possible, Jets quarterback Mike White. Yes, I'm talking about the Jets. Yes, I'm talking about them early in the program. Because wasn't it like five minutes ago that he was shredding the Bengals for 400 yards and being anointed the next big thing by Jets fans? Actually, it was a few days before yesterday because yesterday he was splitting the numbers on Bill's DBs and doling out picks and acting like he was seeing ghosts. He had one on the second drive of the game, and it set in motion a bad half where the Jets fell behind 17-3. to But, but that'll happen, right? When you've got a gunslinger like Mike White, sometimes it's going to take a moment to get warmed up and get into a rhythm. Happens to us all. Happens to every gunslinger. And certainly this is what happened to him in the third quarter. Check out the first pass of the third quarter. What kind of fight do the Jets have here with still plenty of time left? White's going to take a shot, puts his back into it, and that ball is picked. Troy Davies White. The All-Pro Corner. CBS with that first pass of the third quarter. All right. Like I said, sometimes it takes a gunslinger a minute or two to settle in. But then there was the fourth pass of the third quarter. Play action from White. Delivers it. Is picked. Intercepted by Wallace. And this thing goes from bad to worse quickly for White and the Jets. Yeah, essentially for anybody who ever plays quarterback for the Jets. From bad to worse, quickly. Yeah, that certainly escalated quickly. And if you're wondering how the next drive of the third quarter ended, uh, spoiler alert. Boy, these last two weeks have been a nightmare. And that is going to continue. Poyer with a pick of his own. Of course, man. Who do you think is going to get the better of that? Poyer or White? Bills or Jets? Man, what a wild ride that was, right? Even for the Jets. Mike White went from being king and savior to getting booed off the field. He didn't even rule that throne long enough to get a trash nickname like Danny Dimes. And now it's time for the Jets to turn to the real king of New York. The legitimate king. The real savior. You know who I'm talking about. You know exactly who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco has been waiting too long for this opportunity. Sincerely, Joe Flacco. Hey! Joe Flacco cannot fathom the disrespect of Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco entered the game yesterday, and what did he do? All he did was go 3-for-3 and finish with a passer rating of 158-3. In other words, I'm back! Perfection. This is what you get when you bring in Joe Flacco. He had to get New Jersey and just put 158.3 on the back of it. That should be his number, 158.3. This is what you get when you bring in Joe Flacco. Perfection. Ask him. I will. I'm going to. Hey, and by the way, it's not all on Mike White. That Jets defense has been even worse than Mike White. And the only person considered a bigger savior than Mike White was first-year head coach Robert Sala universally beloved by his players, hailed as a budding genius, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Strangely, and unfortunately, their defense is hideous. I mean, they can't get off the field, ever. 
and they're barely competitive. Man, they're broken. They're so broken, they wouldn't even know how to fix it or don't know how to fix it or their coach would. Hell, the players are so jacked up on that side of the ball, they don't even seem to know what's wrong anymore. Never good when linebacker C.J. Mosley is saying things like this. I mean, I can't really tell you, you know what's really going on. I mean, it could be scheme, could be mistakes here and there. I mean, that's, that's, that's all of our jobs to figure out. My dude, I can help you with that. Even me, even I can help you with that. You know what it is? Those things you mentioned? It's not one thing. It's all those things. Everything is going wrong. It is scheme. It's mistakes. It's players. It's coaches. It's a lack of discipline. It's a lack of execution. It's a lack of preparation. It's everything. There's your answer. You don't know what it is? You don't know if it's any one thing? It's not any one thing. It's all the things. Hey, but don't worry. Joe Flacco has got it under control. Just ask Joe Flacco. He is the right guy at the right time. He's always the right guy at the right time in any room he walks into. He's freaking Joe Flacco. You want to talk about another guy who is the right guy at the right time. Jungle favorite, Darius Slay. You know I love this dude. And he made what may have been the most electric play of the weekend when he wrecked the Broncos single-handedly yesterday. Fourth and one. He gives to Gordon. And Gordon is knocked down. Football comes loose. Eagles come up with it. Slay picks it up. Slay running with the ball. And Slay takes off to the far side of the field. To the 30. To the 40. Slay running away from people. Slay at the 40. The 30. The 20. 10. 5. Touchdown, I think, Darius Slay. (laughs) What a play. What a play. Eagles radio, what a play. What a player. What a human being. If there was horse crap, I'd eat it right here in the studio for that guy. Man, I love Darius Slay. He's at the 30. He's at the 40. He's at the 50. He's at the 60. He's at the 70. He's at the 80. He's at the 100-yard line. Touchdown! What a great play that was. I hope you're watching along on CBS Sports Network where you'd already seen it. It was unreal. He recovers the fumble. He then fumbles it himself, then picks it up, changes directions, and then he was gone. Big play slay if you need him. Guy was tremendous. Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a 1,000 locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and Samer next-day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. I'm not saying that yesterday was a weird day in the league. I mean, a little bit, and not the best day in the, in the league. But I will say that Seattle's Carlos Dunlap was flagged for throwing a shoe. Got a flag after the I'm play. I'm going to give him a move after like he hurt his ankle. Unsportsmanlike conduct. Defense, number eight. 15-yard penalty. Automatic first down. Carlos Dunlap is called for that. Watch the left side right here. Here's a shoe. And it's one of the guys from the Packers, right? <laughs> Go get it. <laughs> oh, thank you. How many flags um, does that generate? One, two, two. That's pretty heady. That's pretty smart. 
because that's an intelligent play in a 3 nothing game in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. Credit to Dun- Dunlap, though, for owning it, I guess, kind of. Quote, it was a foolish mistake. I take full accountability for it. It won't happen again. End of quote. Yeah, I'm sure it won't, but I hope it does because that was simultaneously one of the dumbest but best things I've ever seen. Best dumb thing ever. Sort of like I tweeted that the Lions and Steelers was the best worst game ever because that's exactly what that was, and you know I'll get there a little bit later on. Let's just say the Seahawks were not exactly keeping their heads or maintaining their composure. Not if they're picking up an opponent's shoe and trying to throw it out of the stadium altogether. The only thing more hilarious than that is that fast-talking, gum-murdering coach having to address it after the game. You know, terrible mistake. He knows it. He owned up to the team and apologized and all that. So it never happened again, of course, you know, and all that. But that was a big play right there, obviously, when uh, we had a chance to you know, stop him right there at midfield. So, um, so there was, in a game this tight, stuff you know, is amplified in a play here, play there, and that's what happened. Well, I mean, what happened, Pete? Can you elaborate on that at all? I mean, your guy picked up a shoe and tried to throw it out of the building altogether in a 3 nothing game. Can I get you to elaborate on that guy making that decision in that moment, Pete? You know, terrible mistake. He knows it. He up to the team and apologized and all that. So it never happened again, of course. You know, and all that. But that's a big play right there, obviously. Uh, it's just, you know, stopping right there in the field. So, um, so there was, in a game this tight stuff, you know, is amplified in play here, play there, and that's what happened. What happened? Man, he gets worked up, doesn't he? Yeah, when he gets worked up, he starts talking faster and faster and faster. Murdering his gum, getting all fired up. A shoe? Again, we're not talking about a fumble. We're not talking about encroachment. We're not talking about jumping off sides. We're not talking about a bad penalty. We're talking about shoe throwing. What are we talking about here? A shoe? Not the game I die for, but a shoe? How silly is that? A shoe? We talking about practice. A shoe. Not a game. Uh, not, 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 a game not, not a pad. Not a, not a shoulder pad, but a, a shoe. And play every game like How silly is that? I mean, game. yeah, I got it, Ali. Pretty bleeping silly. Right up there. You want how silly that was? Right up there with DK Metcalf getting ejected from the game and then trying to come back into the game. Like, dude, what do you not understand about ejection? thrown out of the game. Dude should have gone Johnny Manziel or Bobby Valentine with it and try to get back on the field in disguise. Johnny idiot face. Look, I'm not going to say that the Seahawks are melting down and embarrassing themselves, but I don't have to. When you've got guys throwing shoes and getting ejected and still trying to play, that pretty much says it for me. And speaking of teams, there are no showing in the big moments. Exactly what was everybody expecting from the Raiders last night? How much more could you expect, really? How was anyone disappointed by what they saw from the Silver and Black last night? Tell me you weren't one of those idiots who saw that game and thought, hmm, Amby, no, hmm, Raiders. Hmm, Raiders just played a dog of a game. They're underdogs at home. I like that. I see value. I'll hammer that. Tell me you weren't one of the dopes that did that. Sure, you got the Raiders at home. Sure, you can even get them two and a half, three points maybe. Yeah, that's fine. That's good. Except the Raiders just got curb stomped at home in prime time and the entire nation saw it. Yeah, I understand this team is dealing with a lot of distractions. Here's what else I understand. 
They're not fighting through or working through those distractions, nor do they have enough talent to overcome those distractions, and it's not going to end well for them, not even in the suddenly wide-ass open AFC West. Just consider yourselves lucky that Andy Reid did not take a victory lap and spin a few donuts in the team bus in the parking lot after the win because you know John Gruden would have. Hell, Gruden did. So the Chiefs get their get-right game that Patrick Mahomes needed so badly. If your team is playing like crap, the Raiders are just what the doctor ordered now. Oh, and look at that. The Bengals and Burrow get right next week. Hey, let's take a moment and talk about WinBet, the latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sports book and digital casino app. Whether you're playing money lines for NFL Week 11, totals for College Football Week 12, or both, WinBet has you covered. Are you looking for other sports? WinBet has that too. It is all right there with your WinBet app. WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards, which means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts. Discounted hotel stays, priority dining and entertainment, free merch. It really is the very best loyalty program in the industry. Call it a win-win. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you absolutely have got to sign up for WinBet ASAP. Bet with the very best. Get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. He is Jim Trotter. Jim, great to have you back. How are you, Jim? Romy, what's going on? Usual stuff, my man. How about you? Same old, same old, man. Groundhog Day. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. It's good to have you back, Jim. So you've got a piece up right now on NFL.com about yesterday's Carolina-Arizona game. In fact, that's how I started my program was my thoughts on that game itself. Let me get your thoughts. They had lost Carolina 5 of 6. They were below 500. Did they look like a sub-500 team to you? And what do you make of the energy that they played with yesterday? No, they did not look like a sub-500 team. And... um. You know, as I wrote, I think this is a team you have to watch out for um, for several different reasons going down the stretch. Number one, um, they've got a tremendous defense. And when you start talking about November, December football, defenses can take you a long way. Number two, they finally have Christian McCaffrey healthy. He's back for the second straight week. We saw what impact he can have in terms of his versatility and his impact on a game. And lastly, you know, the thing they were really missing was a quarterback who could if not win games for them, not lose games for them. And in Cam Newton now, as as Matt Rule has said, Cam, they brought him there to play, and he's going to play. And so there's a very real possibility he could start as early as this coming weekend. Um, But Cam is that guy that brings a lot of juice to a locker room and to a city. And you saw Carolina was rejuvenated with him in there. Um, His first, you know, touch – he scores on a on a two yard run. His second touch, he uh, throws a two yard touchdown pass. There's just an energy and a presence about him. And so when I look at their schedule, the next three weeks they've got Washington, Miami, a bye, and then Atlanta. And then it gets interesting for them because they get Buffalo, and then they've got two games against the Bucks and one against the Saints. And right now, you know Tampa isn't trending in the right direction, and we know the challenges that New Orleans faces. So. 
in a strange year, which is what this has been, why not say that Carolina has a chance to, to potentially even run the table and win the division? Mm. Jim Trotter is joining us. All right, Jim, you mentioned some of these teams that are trending the wrong way. What about Arizona? Like on the other side of that game, you've got Arizona playing without Kyler Murray, without DeAndre Hopkins, Chase Edmonds. Cliff Kingsbury said afterwards, Jim, quote, that team outcoached us, outplayed us, and played and coached with more of a sense of urgency. End of quote. In your opinion, is it just a blip that happens when you're missing major pieces, or is that an actual cause for concern? No, I think it's a blip even if you have all of your pieces. I think we saw that with Dallas. You know, Dallas was completely um, flat against the Denver Broncos a couple of Sundays ago and it, and got it handed to them. And then they came back and we saw what, you know, the real Dallas team this past weekend. I think it's the same thing with the Cardinals. I'm not overreacting to this. They didn't have Kyler. They didn't have D-Hop. They lost Chase Edmonds early the previous week against San Francisco, and they whipped up on San Francisco. So that's a division rival. Naturally, um, you, you know, the, the potential is you're going to have a letdown the following week against a Carolina team, as you mentioned, was appeared to be struggling coming in, and they did. So I'm not overreacting to that. What I want to see now is how do the Cardinals bounce back this coming Sunday against Seattle? And I think that's going to tell us a lot about who they really are. So for me, I think um, uh, Arizona just had one of those games that, that many of the good teams have. And now we have to wait and see how they bounce back from it. Jim Trotter is joining us. Now, Jim, you were on the air last week, and you were asked who you thought was going to win the AFC East, and you chose the Patriots. I thought that was a brass call. Lay it out for me. What do you see in them that makes you think that they're the team to beat in the East? Well, number one, they're a team, as you know, Bill Belichick always coaches for November and December and beyond. And so he uses the early part of the season to kind of gauge what kind of team he has to try and develop some things and lay a foundation. And that's kind of what they've done with Mac Jones. And so when you look at it, you know, those four losses they had, um, three of them were by one possession. One of them was by one point. One of them was by two points. And one of them was by a possession against the Dallas Cowboys at the time the Cowboys were hot. And so when I look at them, I say, you can see how they're building. You can see how Mac Jones is developing. Um, And now I look at them going forward and say, they get to play Buffalo twice down the stretch and if i'm looking at which team again that's trending in the right direction i would tend to say that it's new england over buffalo when you look at buffalo's victories look at the teams they've come against um there have been no world beaters in there i think the only team if memory serves me right and i'm doing this off the top of my head that might have had a winning record was was pittsburgh at the time so i love the way new england is playing right now again things that carry in November, December, and beyond, or a defense and a running game, and they've got that, and they've got a young quarterback who isn't making mistakes and should only get better. Yeah, I thought they looked awfully good yesterday in every facet of the game. Jim Trotter is joining us. Jim, what about Tennessee, man? There's something else, aren't they? Like, you look at them, and you wouldn't think that they would continue to find ways to win, but they continue to find ways to win. You had a piece on the Titans and Rams after their Sunday night game. What do you make of the Titans and how they've adapted to life without Derrick Henry? You know, I'm one of those people who keep saying they can't keep this up. They can't keep this up, and yet they continue to keep it up. Um, I give Mike Grable a lot of credit for what he's done there. He's created a culture and an expectation, um, and, and his team buys into it. The thing is, number one, I think Grable, outside of Belichick, is one of the best situational football coaches um, in the NFL. I think he focuses on the details. His players focus on the detail, and they control the things that they can control. They have an identity, and they play to their identity. The other thing that's been critical for them this year is that their defense has come around. You know, last year they were they were at the bottom of the league in terms of sacks, and they went out in free agency, 
got a couple of guys who have had an impact for them. And now when you talk about up front and you look at, at Simmons and Autry, those are two of the better defensive line combinations in the NFL right now. Bud Dupree is giving them something on the back end. Kevin Byard has been the glue that's held that secondary together when they've had so many injuries at the cornerback position. So when I look at Tennessee, what I love about them is that they know who they are. They don't stray from it. And even when Derrick Henry went down, um, as they said, we're not going to change our identity and try and do things that we're not comfortable with. We're going to be who we are. And that's what they've done. I love Bayard, and I love the way that the Titans continue to play up and find ways to get it done. Of course, Jim, you've got the Rams and the Niners tonight. Tonight will mark Odell Beckham Jr.'s first game as a Ram. How do you like the way he fits in this offense? And is this the best fit for him? How do you see it playing out? You know, Jim, I, I didn't think that it was the best fit for him in terms of it depends on what we're talking about here from Odell's standpoint. Are we talking short-term or long-term? For me, I feel that this is kind of Odell's last shot. You know, um, it didn't work with the Giants. It didn't work with the Browns. Now it's this sort of strike three if it doesn't work with the Rams. And so from my standpoint, as I was looking at it for him in terms of long term, I'm saying if I'm Odell, I want to go to a team that has a franchise quarterback that I know is going to be there um, for quite some time or, you know, going to be there um, um, and is able to accentuate the things that I do. If I'm not the most precise route runner? Is it a guy that can make off-script plays? And so I thought, from that standpoint, Kansas City, Seattle, even Green Bay would be um, a better fit for him. But look, now he's in L.A., Robert Woods is out, so he's going to take on an even more prominent role. And I'm intrigued to see how Sean McVay is going to fit him in. At this point, we're all just speculating. But Robert Woods did a lot of things that I think um, casual football fans don't realize for that Rams team. And I thought he was one of the more underrated receivers in the NFL. And so I'm fascinated to see how that offense functions with him out and how Odell is going to fit. We're talking to Jim Trotter for a couple of more moments. Jim, you also made the point after that Sunday night game that the Rams offense does struggle when they go up against a team that's physical up front. How big Absolutely. of a concern is that for L.A.? I think it's an issue. You can't run from it. I mean, the two games they've lost this year, they got whooped up front. I mean, Arizona just took it to them on both sides of the ball, and then um, Tennessee dominated up front on both sides. So from my standpoint, I think that's critical. Now, now the Rams poo-pooed that when I brought it up to them, whether it was Andrew Whitworth or, or Sean McVay. But it's very real. And when you talk to defensive coaches around the league about facing that Rams offense, the one thing they say to you is that you want to make it a street fight, that the Rams don't like street fights. And what Sean McVay likes to do is use a lot of motion, use a lot of misdirection to get defensive players looking where they shouldn't be looking so that they're a half step slow and they can't play with that, that same um, just read and react. And if you can change the line of scrimmage, as Arizona and Tennessee were able to do, it allows a defense to play fast. And so I think the Rams know that's something they're going to have to deal with going forward. The, the thing that's interesting is, how are they going to deal with that? And one of the ways I think they have to deal with it is they've got to get uh, Matthew Stafford outside of the pocket a little more. When Sean McVay said he didn't do a good job coaching in that loss to Tennessee, he was right because the first half he kept Stafford in the pocket and the pressure got to him consistently. In the second half, we saw him moving him outside the pocket on bootlegs and rollouts, 
and we saw Stafford being more effective in that way. So I think Sean is going to have to mix things up going forward. Jim Trotter, my guest. Jim, one last thought. Let me bounce back to Odell. I thought he made really persuasive points about where he could have ended up and why it might have been a better fit for him in Seattle or maybe Green Bay or Kansas City. So why do you think he chose L.A.? What's his thinking? Roman, look, it's no secret. We have been hearing for at least a year, year and a half that, that Odell wanted to be in L.A., even when he was in Cleveland. So that's why I wasn't shocked at all when I heard that, that the Rams were, were the choice. Um, for whatever reason, and that's for Odell to talk about, he likes it in Southern California, which don't we all? I love it out here in Southern California. Um, but that's where he wanted to be. So, And look, Sean McVay in that offense is very attractive to a wide receiver, so I can understand that. Um, but I truly thought that for me, for Odell, I thought being with a quarterback, particularly who could make more plays off script, would have been a better fit for him than, than somebody who is, is more precise in terms of Matthew Stafford and playing from the pocket. My man, Jim Trotter, reporter and storyteller for NFL Media. He is a Hall of Fame voter. He is the author of Junior Seau, The Life and Death of a Football Icon. He is an adjunct professor at San Diego State. He is everywhere. Jim, appreciate you very much, man. Thank you. Great job. Romy, always appreciate the vine. Hey, listen up. When you want to find amazing rates, organize your finances, or simply make smarter money decisions, Lending Tree is here for you. With the Lending Tree app, you can see all your bank accounts at a glance so you can better understand your spending and saving and build a budget that works for you. You can monitor your credit score. You can explore ways to improve your credit. You can get automatic alerts to protect your identity. And Lending Tree can help make sure that you are getting your very best deal on loans, insurance, credit cards, and more through their wide network of banks and lenders. Plus, LendingTree gives you personalized tips and insights in to help you save money and reach all your financial dreams. So whether you want to pay off a debt, buy a home, build credit, or simply make things a little easier, LendingTree has your back for all your short and long-term goals. And best of all, there are no subscriptions, there are no fees, there is no hassle. Just easy, honest, straightforward support to make the most of your money and achieve greater financial health. So download the free LendingTree app right now and get started. Then see why thousands, thousands of people turn to LendingTree every day for smarter, easier finances. Terms and conditions may apply. NMLS number 1136. There is still a whole lot of ball to be played by quarterbacks from the 2021 NFL draft class. Notice how deliberate I'm being and how I say this, because I don't want you to twist this up too. There is no question. 10 weeks into their rookie seasons, as you look at this, Mac Jones would appear to be best prepared for this life. Okay, we're only 10 weeks into their careers. I'm not saying that he should have gone first overall. But make no mistake about this. There are a hell of a lot of front offices or ownership groups looking at each other sideways this AM and wanting to give somebody them hands over not turning Mac Jones's draft card in. Seriously. It's not only just the teams that needed a quarterback. It's those teams and nearly everybody else who didn't turn that card in. Because this kid's been that good. Damn good. And every week he's getting better. And yesterday was his best effort to date. Am I right? America's team. Because we're talking about a pretty formidable defense. 
a pretty good defense in America's team. And he just torched them, made them look bad. I mean, where was that defense yesterday? Below not good does not begin to describe what was happening on that side of the ball yesterday for America's team. And no, it was not just Jones who dominated that Browns defense. Josh McDaniels had an excellent, well-balanced game plan. And I'm telling you, that Patriots offense, sacrilegious as it may sound, was at least at least appearing and looking to be somewhat vintage. Don't twist that up. I'm not saying they found the new TB44. I'm saying the offense was looking a little familiar to what I've seen in the past. Systematically, they were giving the Browns defense the entire repertoire. The hands, the feet, taking their backs, choking them the hell out, and making them endure it for a solid 60. Maybe it's partly personal because, well, you know, C-Town, the hood, etc. Or maybe they're just playing that well right now. Maybe they are coming together that well right now. What I'm saying is this. I could not be more impressed by Jones. Like I said, he's getting better by the week. He made some big-time throws yesterday. Actually, he made every kind of throw yesterday. For real. I sure as hell did not see that beatdown coming. I knew there were a problem, but I did not see that beatdown coming. Not given especially the way the Browns started that game. Baker Mayfield leads them down the field. He throws a TD pass to Austin Hooper, jungle favorite. They're up early. Perfect start on the road against a tough D in a hostile environment. Unfortunately, everything after that was, what's the word I'm looking for? Ass. To quote the dude with the big head who shows up here on Fridays. Generally. Sometimes. You're lucky he even performs for you bastards. Leave Big Head alone. You're lucky she even performed for you bastards. Leave, Leave Big Head alone. alone. He's not going to win every weekend. I tried telling you that last week. Man, this gambling game is hard, dog. Really hard. And as far as America team goes, America's team, you know, I can't blindly support everything, right? You got to wear that because that was not a good day and you were not good at anything. And the Pats were good at pretty much everything. The Pats essentially did everything right and the Browns did pretty much everything wrong. But again, man, Mac Jones. Each week, Josh McDaniels is putting more and more on his plate and each week he is handling it, Jones, and excelling. Down 7 nothing. He starts his day by hitting 9 of his first 10. For 116 yards, couple of TDs. First one to Hunter Henry. Jones from the shotgun. He takes the snap. Back two steps. Looking right. Throws the fan for Henry. Touchdown, Patriots. A floater to the right side of the end zone. New England is on the board. What a throw by Jones. This thing could have brought down rain. He catches it and falls gone before Henry even comes out of the break. Three-yard touchdown to tie it up. Big boy drive. Plenty of good throws. Far from the only one. His second TD put the Pats up 20-7, to one of the best throws of any game all day long. He splits a couple of Browns defenders, and he puts the ball where only, only, Jesus Christ, it's Kendrick Bourne could get it. Takes the snap, drops back, has time, fires down the middle for Bourne, reaches up, extends, down to the end zone, between two defenders, touchdown, Patriots! Two big throws on this drive by Mac Jones, your quarterback, to get him off the plateau. 
What a throw on the skinny to board in front of the safety for a 23-yard touchdown and a 14-point lead at home. I'll take more of this, please. Pat's Radio. Believe me, believe it's Kendrick Bourne. Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. Kendrick Bourne. He was not done either. Kendrick Bourne. Jones was not done attacking the Browns, taking what they gave him, and then taking whatever the hell he wanted. Like this beautiful dime to Henry again to move the chains on a third quarter drive. Jones a little more fiery than people know. Second and five, Jones. Excellent extension and a catch made by Hunter Henry. Great throw, great catch. And here's the thing. Here's why they're so scary. This is why I say they're vintage. We're starting to look vintage. They just pull guys out of nowhere. Rookie running back, Ramondre Stevenson. Ramondre would punch it in a few plays later for his second score of the day. This guy was running with authority. Then the beatdown was on in full force. The Pats were balanced. They had 184 yards rushing. Jones was picking apart that defense when necessary. He finished the game with three total TDs. Only 198 yards passing, but this guy completed 82.6% of his passes, and he finished with a QB rating of 142.1. 82.6% completion rate. His legendary accuracy at Alabama is, in fact, translating at the next level, too. The Pats put an absolute wax job on America's team, 45-7. Again, point blank, a really bad day for America's team in a team. Put this, like, took a deuce, the Mumblers team forced your head into the bowl and made you look at it for three hours. Then all you can do is flush it and move on. Am I right? Flush it and move on. But as impressed as Jim Rome was with Mac Jones, the mumbler must have absolutely loved what he saw because he was in vintage mumbler mode, going way out of his way, swerving way out of his lane to try and downplay it. Yeah. Well, that's the NFL for all of us. You know, we all deal with things every week, and you know, Mac's done a good job of it. You know, so is everybody else, and we all learn. And as I said, there's different challenges every week from, from each and every team and every situation. So let's do the best we can with him. But yeah, he's done a good job. Telling you, I love it. I'm not hating at all on the mumbler. Vintage hood. And he did praise everyone's effort, including the D's. That's a defense, too, that looks mean. It looks tough. It looks physical. It looks smart. It looks vintage. I mean, for real, the Pats' defense is good. And for everybody who was ready to throw dirt on the mumbler when they got off to that tough start this year, after being 7-9 last year, throw dirt on him. And his greatness. Think that bleep again. Put your shovel down. Apparently Hood and Steven have a little something for all of you. I know what he's thinking too. He's probably listening right now. I know the mumbler likes to listen to me on Mondays. He's probably thinking, oh, really? Well, here we go again. Is that right, Radio Man? Uh, uh, Is that really you? putting out positive vibes about myself and my boy Stevie? Well, you know what I want to tell everybody, starting with you, radio man. Tell me how my ass tastes. I want to, but I won't. But I will tell you this. Get ready, Buffalo. You haven't wrapped up the AFC East yet, bitches. That still belongs to us. You know who the hell I am? 
You know who the hell my son Steven is. We're not afraid of you. We're not afraid of you, nor are we afraid of you, your, your guy. What's his face? Big bad Rick in Buffalo. What's Matt in Vancouver call him? What's he call, what's he call that guy? An angry human penis? Yeah, that made Steven chuckle. I'll give you that, Radio Man. Rick, I'll give that you to, look uh, like an angry, screaming human penis, man, <laughs> mixed in a baseball cap. All right, I admit it. I chuckled over that, too. <laughs> Me and Stevie both like that one. Take some, bitches. And you, Radio Man, you take some, too. No, I mean, for real, credit, hood. Look at me, for real, credit, hood. I'm giving you credit. Patriot Nation, I'm giving you credit. Man, they look good. I said so the previous week when I was in studio on the NFL Today on CBS. I said, look out for these guys, man. They're playing much better. And they are. And I would double down on that right now. Buffalo is not going to overlook them. They can't. You've won four in a row. And in those four games, you've scored 150 points to your opposition's 50. The Pats are legit. Hey, listen. We know TB44's value in their dynastic run. That cannot be undersold at all. He proved it again last year. But I'm going to say this. Mac Jones was an unbelievable pick for them. And by the way, as a rookie, his numbers are better than where TB44s were at that time. In fact, he didn't even start until his second season. And even then, his numbers fail in comparison to Jones. What I'm saying about Jones is this. He's on pace to crush the rookie completion percentage record. No, he's not Johnny Foxborough. Nobody's saying that. Nobody is. Although, by the way, Johnny Foxborough's act yesterday could not have been lamer than it was, which I'll get to. I'm just saying that right now, Mac Jones is outplaying every other quarterback that was taken before him in the draft this year. I mean, seriously, do we need a roll call of who it looks like made a mistake in not drafting this guy? And yes, yes, don't correct me on this either. I understand situations matter. And that the Mumbler and Josh McDaniels are a better situation for a young quarterback than any of the others. However, this kid is looking like the real deal himself. Not a game manager, not a guy who's serviceable, not a guy who got fat working in a system at Alabama with all this talent around him. Man, this dude is good. This dude's really good, really sharp, really smart, getting better on the weekly, and can make every throw. And I love the way he leads. I love the way he carries himself. All right, so from the very first moment I sat in my X chair, my body immediately went, ah, this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. (laughs) I mean, like I never actually looked forward to sitting in my office chair until I got my X chair. That's how amazing the X chair is. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? Yeah, my X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all the reasons I love my X chair, and now I can't wait to be at work. Sometimes, even if I'm not working, I just sit down and I kick it in my X chair, you know, to get that feeling. So take my advice. Try X chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. 
Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, R-O-M-E.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and get 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. That's xchairrome.com, xchairrome.com. Kyle Whittingham is my guest. Kyle, it's always nice to have you on. How are you today, Kyle? Doing good, Jim. Appreciate you having me on. Thank Always you. Always good to have you on. Thanks so much. You're coming off that win over Arizona. You said yourself that it might have been a little bit ugly, but when you're on the road and you're in conference and you find a way to grind out a win, what's it say about your team that they found a way to get it done the way they did? Well, they showed a lot of character, and, and uh, as I mentioned, we didn't play our best uh, in the postgame conference. We didn't uh, play very well on defense, but offense showed up, had a lot of production there, nearly 470 yards, uh, 38 points, no turnover. So good outing by the O, but uh, special teams and defense not quite what we need them to be. All right, so you talked about the offense. In fact, I was going to ask you about that because that is now the sixth straight game with more than 450 yards of offense. You and I spoke before the season, and we talked about the potential and the upside of that offense. How gratifying then is it or has it been for you to see that offense become a reality and reach its potential? It's been great, and, and really, there's two primary keys for for uh, what's going on, and that's number one, our quarterback Cam Rising, who uh, we went to in Game Three, and uh, have stuck with him ever since, and he's just been a, a phenomenal leader for us. He's in the top ten in the nation in uh, QBR rating, and uh, just playing outstanding football. So, so Cam's emergence and, and his play has been instrumental in the offensive line. We were a little bit uh, shoddy up front early in the season. Uh, looking for the right combination of guys, but but uh, about three or four games in, we settled in and, and got the right guys out there, and, and they've got nothing but better uh, as the season's progressed. Kyle Whittingham joining us. I was going to ask you about Cam Rising, which beat me to it. That was his seventh start of the season, and he really has grown into that position. You know, every single game matters, of course, but when you get to November and you have a chance to win the division and go to the conference championship game, does it feel like the intensity ratchets up and the games go to another level? Oh, definitely, it does. There's no, there's no question about it. Now, now our preparation doesn't change. You know, we have the same routine, the same uh, meeting structure, practice structure, all that type of thing. But, but there is a different feel, and uh, we're getting right down to the wire here, and and uh, got a big one against uh, Oregon Ducks this weekend, and got them at our place, which is, which is great, and uh, our guys will be ready. That is a big one. Also, Britton Covey now has more than 3,500 all-purpose yards, which is fifth most in school history. I know that you've known his family for decades, going back even to his grandfather. You were the first to offer him a scholarship. What did you see in him that maybe others did not at that time? Well, first of all, he was a quarterback in high school, and so it was a projection. You know, we we didn't feel that uh, that was going to be ultimately his his uh, landing uh, position in college. And so, uh, as a slot receiver, uh, you know, projecting him as a slot, we thought that he had the the quickness, the speed, uh, you know, just all those things you look for uh, in a great slot receiver. And uh, and in addition to that, a kick returner. I mean, he's a phenomenal punt and kickoff returner in high school, and and uh, we just knew that uh, he could add to what we're doing. Did we know he'd add to the extent he has? Uh, I'm not going to lie, and I, you know, I don't think we, we, any of us thought that uh, he'd reach the, you know, the level of play that he has uh, right now. And, and in fact, he's got another year. You know, if he wants it, he's only a junior. Seems like he's been here like eight years. But, but uh, if he wanted to come back, he would have another year. But he's just been so productive for us and such a great leader. That's uh, that's another thing is is the the things that he brings to the table and to the football team off the field. Utah head football coach Kyle Whittingham joins us once again. Kyle, you and I spoke back in August, and we talked about the death of Ty Jordan and the ways in which the program was going to honor him. Then in September, Aaron Lowe, who was a high school teammate of Ty's, had been wearing number 22 to honor him and was the recipient of the Ty Jordan Memorial Scholarship. 
he was killed. What was Aaron like as a person? Oh, just a great kid. Him, him and Ty were very similar uh, in personality, uh, always smiling, uh, always uh, enjoying what they did, uh, enjoying life, uh, passion for the game of football. And uh, as you mentioned, I mean, it was just just eerie the, the way this thing has gone. And, and uh, they were best friends in high school. And, and as you mentioned, uh, Aaron was the recipient of the scholarship and, and wore Ty's number in honor of Ty. And it's just been a very difficult situation, to say the least, for our team to to go through. But uh, I think our guys have handled it about as good as they possibly could have. I was going to say, it's just it's so sad yeah. and so challenging. And then Saturday, TJ Pledger was talking about the notion of being 22% better and feeling like the team has a bigger meaning behind it. What has it been like to see your players deal with all these challenges and adversity and come back the way they have and to take on this notion of 22% better and the bigger meaning behind that? Yeah, well, first of all, just so proud of them and, and so proud of the way they've they've handled themselves and conducted themselves. We've got great leadership on this team, and that that really is where it starts with the uh, with the upperclassmen and the leaders that have that has helped us uh, forge through this. And uh, it's just been uh, awesome to see how they handle the adversity and uh, have stuck together. And and yeah, that is that is our rally cry: is twenty two percent better. We got uh, you know pretty much everything we do is uh, somewhat. Uh, centered around that. Hmm. Kyle Whittingham joining us. Now, Kyle, that, not that you want to make it about you. I know you don't, but I will anyway, because that was your 141st win as Utah head coach. That ties you with Ike Armstrong for the school record. Again, I know you're not looking to make it about you, but can you take even one moment to just think about that? What That's a big number now. What does that number represent to you? Well, first of all, I've been blessed. and I have a lot of gratitude for being able to be at this university for for that long. That's a rarity in this day and age. It's it's almost unheard of. Uh, and, and what it means, Jim, it's a, it's really a an accomplishment that uh, every player that's come through this program uh, has a part of. And and to be able to have coached so many talented players over the last 17 years and coached side-by-side side with so many great assistant coaches, that's what it is. It's, it's a program goal, and a, not a goal, but a program accomplishment. And, and uh, just so... I uh, feel so fortunate to have been a part of it. It's been a, it's been a heck of a ride, I'll tell you that. No, I agree with you. It's a really, really tough business, and there's only a limited number of big-time college football head coaching jobs, so it's hard to get one in the first place and nearly impossible to have the kind of run that you've had. In fact, how do you explain that, to, to maintain that level of excellence, and it doesn't get old, it doesn't get rusty, there is no complacency. How have you managed to do that and keep raising the bar? Well, uh, you know, one thing that uh, that really... Uh, sparked the program was our uh, acceptance into the Pac-12. You know, when that happened back in 2011, I had been the head coach here, I guess, what, about six, seven, maybe eight years at that point in time. And that was uh, almost as if, uh, you know, we got a, I got a new job and went new challenge and, and going into the into the Pac-12 really uh, rejuvenated everything in the program. And, and uh, we've uh, been working like crazy to try to, you know, get some traction in the conference since then. And, and uh, you know, I think we've recruited well and, and uh, our roster, I believe right now is as good as it's ever been and and uh, particularly in the uh, younger classes our freshman and sophomore classes are are loaded and so we think we got a chance to be good for uh, for a few years utah seven and three they're number 24 in the college football rankings and there's a big one saturday night in your place against number three oregon i'm curious you've got that big one coming up so what is your message as you get ready to face the ducks what are you telling your guys same thing that we've been doing for seven weeks now, and that's just uh, having fun, uh, cutting loose, letting the you know just making plays, not pressing, 
And I think that's really been the key to their offense. If you watch them play, you can tell that they truly enjoy what they're doing and uh, they're having a great time doing it and just got guys out there making plays and playing hard for each other. Can't wait to see it. Number three, Oregon at number 24, Utah, Saturday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Kyle Whittingham is the longtime head coach of Utah. Kyle, I appreciate you very much. Good luck this weekend. Always good to have you on this show. Thanks for making time for us once again. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. All right, so let me change up on you really quickly. Remember when Texas ran Tom Herman out of town after they went 7-3? and three? Remember when they paid him 24 mil to beat it and take a staff with him? And then... They committed 34 mil and six years to Sark. Remember that. I know everybody in Texas does because the eyes of Texas are now focused squarely on Sark right now. And these eyes can't be that impressed. In fact, I'm guessing these eyes are probably pretty mortified. Look directly at this dude and you might turn to stone because he looked directly at this program and now it's turning to crap. I mean, I'm not necessarily here to say that that was all a giant mistake. Let's just say it's not going very well for old Sark. In fact, it's a disaster. It's going about as badly as anybody could have ever imagined, only much, much worse. And now we have finally hit rock bottom, or at least it better be. It better be. It's hard to imagine it being or sinking any lower than it already has. It turns out the emotional support monkey was a high point compared to this. The pole assassin was nothing compared to the bowl assassin, a.k.a. Kansas. Rock chalkers are still living large even this morning. And the hook'em crowd basically in a state of shock. Because Texas has now lost five in a row. That's the first time that's happened since 1956. They're four and six. They're on the verge of missing out on a bowl season altogether, obviously. And they got to this place by losing to Kansas at home Saturday. And it's every bit as bad as it sounds, only worse. The Jayhawks were one and eight. They were 31-point dogs. According to Vegas, four touchdowns and a field goal was supposedly the difference between these two teams. 31 points for a a bad Texas team. And they're still favored by 31. That's how bad Kansas is. That's how embarrassing Kansas is. Texas having a terrible year and they were still 31-point favorites. How bad? KU had not won. This is mind-blowing. KU had not won a Big 12 road game since 2008. 08. They had lost 56 straight games on the road. Then suddenly on Saturday, they find themselves up 35-14 at halftime in Austin. You can only imagine what Longhorn fans were thinking at halftime. Yet Texas remembers their Texas or what's left of Texas, and they make a comeback. They somehow manage to save face. They scrape all the way back. They tie it with 22 seconds left. Has the snap. All play action. Fires. Down the right. Got Cade open. Caught. Touchdown, Texas. Cade Brewer. And the Longhorns are an extra point away from most improbably tying this game. Longhorns radio. So they're thinking the ultimate disaster averted, right? I mean, you could practically hear the relief in that dude's voice. Close call. 
but they had to have it in OT at home. They've got the momentum. No way in hell even this crew could lose to Kansas, right? Yeah, well, maybe. In fact, absolutely. Because while the Longhorns did score in the first overtime, Kansas did them one better. The Jayhawks scored, and then, of course, they went for two. Daniels in the gun. He looks right. He's flushed out of the pocket to the right, throwing on the run. It's caught. It's caught. And Kansas will win. Holy cow. Garrett Casey with the play of his life. And the Jayhawks take down Texas. From Plainville, Kansas to Austin, Texas, J.D. threw it to his right in the bread basket, and he pulled it in. What a play. What a game. For the first time in program history, the Kansas Jayhawks have won in Austin. You can rock. Chalk it up. The Jayhawks win it. 57 to 56. A Kansas winner with Jared Casey, the unlikely hero on a two-point conversion. Man, you dudes deserve it. Jayhawk radio right there. Those guys absolutely deserve that. Hey, Sark, that's on your resume. They had never won in Austin before. And as unlikely as all of that is, somehow the ending was the most unlikely part. That guy they're talking about, Jared Casey? Jared Casey was a walk-on. And until Saturday, exclusively a special teamer. This walk-on had never played a single down of offensive football for the Jayhawks before this week. And then all of a sudden, there he was throwing horns down at the TV cameras after making the biggest offensive play in recent memory for Kansas. Maybe ever. But just as much credit should go to the head coach, the one with the brass set. I mean, you might argue, what do they have to lose, right? They were one and eight. They never won there. Of course, they went for two. You could argue that. But I would argue that Lance Leipold is good with the jungle. And the jungle is good with Lance. That right there is a reason, if not the reason. Of course, you went for it. I'm saying, of course, you went for it. But what I'm saying is, of course, they got it. My man's got some jungle karma. This dude knew he was facing down Goliath, and he knew that he needed the kill shot. I would think of the majority of them, of course, you know, grew up wanting to be recruited by this school. And, uh, you know, I would I would imagine no matter how much they played or didn't play, to, to come here is, is special. Uh, obviously, it's an outstanding tradition, outstanding facility and resources and all those things. So you come in here as, you know, uh, we're David, <laughs> they're Goliath, and we, we go out there and play. It's like this. Anybody who had anything to do with the team and the program that won that game will never, ever forget it. And anybody who had anything to do with the team that lost that game at home to Kansas will never, ever forget it. That's going to stay with everybody involved for the rest of their lives. That good and that bad. Lance was on the program last year, but he was Buffalo's head coach then. Because just like Sark, he is also a first-year Big 12 head coach. And that might be the hardest part of this disaster for Longhorn fan to accept. Texas hired a new coach in the same offseason as Kansas. And the Jayhawks might have made the better hire. At least that's what the scoreboard says on Saturday. I'll tell you what, man. There are no angles that aren't excruciating, nauseating, utterly humiliating for Texas fan right now. Texas football fan. I mean, that is an unbelievable loss. 
ordinarily you might get some kind of impassioned, fiery, behind-the-scenes pep talk from the coaching staff. But the problem is the UT staff already threw that card. They already played that card. We're not necessarily supposed to know that, but we do because a player leaked this video last week. It was of defensive line coach Bo Davis going absolutely nuclear on the team bus after the last embarrassing loss, a blowout at the hands of Iowa State in Ames. It's real. Some of you motherfuckers need to get in the transfer portal. You want to go? Get in the motherfuckers. This ain't a game to me. And if you think it's a game, get the tell you something that is an ass chewing right there a legendary ass chewing and I would argue that although that was pretty rough the team needed something right and Bo would know this guy's won three national championships he was hired by Nick Saban three different times he's had multiple stops in the NFL so he was pretty graphic in what he said but he was trying to impart a message. They needed something. So that video leaks, and that made him a really popular dude around Austin last week because I'm sure there were a lot of other people around that town that want to say that to that team and can't. Well, he could, and he did. And the video leaked, which was not a good thing. Then they go out after that legendary ass chewing, and they lose to Kansas. At home, which has got to be about the worst look ever. Man, I hope this is not part of a free fall and they keep plunging. It's got to be rock bottom, right? What's worse? What could be lower than that for Texas? Hard to imagine the alleged child attacking Halloween monkey being part of the better days for the program. Emotional monkey. Emotional monkey. Lunch with the emotional monkey. Emotional monkey. Emotional monkey. Emotional monkey. Emotional monkey. Update that or upgrade that to an emotional monkey. It's not an ordinary monkey. Lunch with the emotional monkey. Hey, sorry, Texas. Good news is you got a hell of a basketball coach. Hell of a basketball coach. Bad news is, Mac Brown ain't walking through that door. And even if Mac was, he's not bringing Vince Young with him. Bad news is, I think that whole team is going to need an emotional support monkey. One of your rich boosters might have to scratch a big fat check and bring in about 150 emotional support monkeys. Kansas, 31-point dogs came in and did you in your house. We need a PO, a PO for 500 emotional support monkeys. In fact, every fan probably needs one now, too. Take every emotional support monkey in the history of the world and drop it in Austin right now for everybody. Hell, I need one here in California. 
just for watching that. Emotional support monkey. Emotional support monkey. All right, everybody. In your locker, you know how you all have those flat screens? You know you have that state-of-the-art locker room with all the flat screens? Everybody, go into your lockers. There is an emotional support monkey inside. They're not toys. They're not pets. They're a responsibility. Nobody's allowed to high-five or fist bump your emotional support monkey except you. Remember to feed your emotional support monkey. They are not toys. Vincent Goodwill. Vincent, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, good to be on with you, Jim. How are you? Good, good. I'm great. It's good to have you back. Thanks so much. Now, you wrote a piece for Yahoo that broke down three teams that are off to hot starts. Let's get into this. Let me start with the Bulls because you previously covered them. You know a whole lot about their situation. They beat the Clippers last night. They're 9-4. and four. They're in first in the Central. You had predicted that they would be the most surprising team. What did you see in them before the season that had you feeling that way? Well, whenever you can get rid of a team that had Gar Foreman's fingerprints on it, it's probably a positive thing, right? <laughs> the only player left over from that regime is pretty much, you know, Zach Levine and Kobe White. Everybody else that's been brought in has been brought in by the new regime. Billy Donovan, I think, is a really good coach, and I think Zach Levine has been one of those guys who have been miscast as stats guy on a bad team. I think he's actually capable of playing winning basketball. So to see all of these pieces come together, including DeMar DeRozan, who's kind of been, you know, if you don't shoot threes, if you don't play in a sort of analytics-driven style of game, you're cast aside. But he's a guy that can create his own shot. He can get it. He's been becoming evolved into a better playmaker over the years, especially uh, with his time in San Antonio. So just seeing all those pieces work together and in the Eastern Conference, I'm not really surprised. I'm sure the league is, but I'm not shocked at all that they're putting together right now you know I thought they would put it together but man they have put it together quickly they have gelled really quickly now as somebody who knows that city and that fan base how good is it for the league to have a good team in Chicago once again that's a that's an important point Jim because the one unspoken thing about the Bulls and their success in the 90s they were in that central time zone right so that means you're kind of right in the middle between if you're out in LA it's not so early and if you're out super east you know what I mean? You're not catching them at a bad point. It's not too late either. So you're catching like almost in the sweet spot of every basketball fan, every casual fan. Clearly, the ghost of Michael Jordan is still over that franchise. You know, you can see the numbers of the merchandising and everything else every year. They haven't had a player worth a damn in the past two decades, with the exception of a, a, a stretch with Derrick Rose and then a stretch with Jimmy Butler. But they, they haven't had a signature since 1998. But yet, because of Michael Jordan, they've been able to have this foothold on the American basketball market. So not only being a number three market in America and everything else, they are the pre, you know, they're pretty much between him and the Lakers. They're the dynasty that has defined basketball post-merger, even more so than the Celtics. So it means a lot for them. It means a lot for the NBA. You best believe, Jim, the NBA is ecstatic to have somebody on that side of the country that is playing meaningful basketball that is not named the Brooklyn Nets. Mm, no doubt. Vincent Goodwill is joining us now because you mentioned Mike, and I was going to ask you about Mike. I want to ask you about Mike, but I want to ask you about him as it relates to Scottie Pippen, who is once again in the news. What do you make of the relationship and the constant rehashing of the relationship between Scotty and Michael? 
I think Scotty needs to sit on somebody's couch. Like maybe Oprah should, you know, volunteer herself because she was in Chicago at that time. Maybe I don't. Here's the thing: you haven't heard a peep from Michael Jordan throughout all of this, and I don't know about you, Jim. I didn't think that Scottie Pippen was unfairly portrayed in The Last Dance. I felt like if anybody had reason to be mad, it should have been Isaiah Thomas, not Scottie Pippen. Like, there was nothing that was untrue. To me, there was nothing that was heavy-handed. I don't know what Scottie expected. And when he says, you know, I want to be remembered as the greatest player of all time, I need to ask you, are you high? Are you drunk? Or do you just need someone to talk to while you're while you're doing this, because whenever we've seen video in the past 20 years of Scotty and Mike being in the same place, it's like two frat brothers who reunited. It doesn't look like two guys who have all this animus. Remember, Scotty was, uh, chose Michael to represent him at the Hall of Fame. You don't do that to somebody that you seem like you hate, and it seems like that Scotty has a lot of resentment towards the media, towards Michael Jordan, towards the specter of Michael Jordan. It's really distasteful, to be perfectly honest, Jim, and trust me, in the media, we all love the headlines and everything else, but something about this feels kind of unseemly. Like, I feel like Scotty should be talking to someone privately about this and not sort of addressing his demons in the public for the profit of selling the damn book. Vincent Goodwill is joining us. So what do you think Mike thinks? Do you think Mike's laughing? Do you think Mike doesn't give a damn? Do you think he goes in one ear and out the other? Or do you think Mike wants to give Scotty the hands? I think Mike is a competitive sociopath who's trying to figure out why, this, why is Scotty so mad. Like, if, if we know the Michael Jordan that Michael Jordan has portrayed to us over the past, you know, 40-plus years, he doesn't really deal with complex human emotions so well, right? It's see ball, get ball. That's Michael Jordan, right? At least that's what he's shown us. So I think he's probably looking at it like, Scotty, I elevated you. What would you be without me? Not what would I be without you. We can place anybody next to me that was worth a damn, and I was still going to win at the level that I won. I helped you. So I think he's probably looking at Scotty like, you know what, Scotty? Blow off your steam, sell your books, and watch Scotty come on some apology tour in four or five years or something like that because Scotty's got some, a bunch of other stuff going on, and Michael just won't care. Why? Because Michael never cares. Vincent Goodwill is joining us. All right, so what about Golden State? They dropped one to Charlotte last night. They're 11-2. and They've got the best record in the league. Now the argument could be made that they've played kind of a soft schedule, but what do you make of how they've dealt with the schedule that they've had to play, and how do they look to you so far? Well, here's the thing. If people have said, you know, you're playing eight home games compared to, you know, four on the road so far, and you're eight and one at home or nine, you know, nine home games so far. But I look at the Milwaukee Bucks. They're one and four at home. So, and they're the defending champions. And of course, they have their own issues. But I think there's something to be said, Jim, about establishing a style of play, establishing what type of team you are as far as an identity. So then when you were able to hit the rough patches of the schedule, not like Charlotte last night, that was just a bad loss that didn't hit a, you know, a couple of shots. And I think that's largely what's going to come down to until they get Clay Thompson back. Not that it's smoke and mirrors, but they are maximizing everything that they can do right now with the players that they have. Think about it. We haven't seen Kuminga or Moody or James Wiseman. They're doing this with you know Jordan Poole and the ghost of Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green. That's not – that doesn't strike you as a championship core, but they're kicking teams' asses right now, Jim. They're beating teams by 13, 14 points a game. You have to play the teams that are in front of you. And I think this is going to bode well because, Jim, who in the West would scare you? 
Yeah, I'm going to say to you that the West, to me, is not nearly as na- nasty as it's looked in the past. But, Vincent, go back to the point you made about Moody and Kaminga and Wiseman, and they're still waiting on Clay. What about all these pieces? When you look at all of these pieces and these guys are healthy and you have a full roster, do you like the way those pieces all fit together? I like the fact that they don't have to rush Clay back in and force Clay to be prime Clay Thompson. That was going to be, honestly, my fear, regardless of what their record was going to be, was that they were going to need him. But if Clay Thompson is gravy, <clears throat> then you got a guy who can defend, who can hit shots, and you're not asking him to score 22, 23 points a game. He can go through his normal rehab process while playing without them actually saying, Clay, we need this out of you tonight and every night for us to be a competent team. Now, some roles will be lessened when those guys come back in. You can't play the nine or ten guys you're playing now and then add three more impact players. Like, someone's going to get lost in the shuffle. But the fact that you have the flexibility, and I think that Steve Kerr has kind of found something when, I don't know about you, a few of us in the media have had questions about Steve Kerr the last few years and say, okay, with no Kevin Durant with no super team, what are you going to do with here? And now it looks like he's found something with getting these guys to play, mixing and matching the players. I think this is actually going to work out pretty well for them just because there won't be this dependency on rookies or an injured player when we all know guys coming back from two serious lower leg injuries. That's kind of hit or miss. Vincent Goodwill joining us for a few more moments. I have to ask you about the Wizards, all right? They've got the best record in the East. I had Wes Unsel Jr. on the show a few weeks back. What do you make of the job that he has done with his team, and especially on the defensive end? Jim Rome, I live in Detroit, right? <clears throat> Which means I've been subjected to the Detroit Lions for the better part of 36 years. I'm actually Lions-free since 1999 with Barry how that, Sanders. How's Iowa? that going for you? It's going well, actually. I've been uh, my Sundays are are quite fine. I still have my hair and all that other type of stuff. Now, ask me about my dad. That's a different story. But the Washington Wizards are like the equivalent of the Detroit Lions, except they never had a Barry Sanders, right? At least in my lifetime. And now they look competent. And Wes Unsell Jr. has has them with an identity, with defense, with the Laker rejects, mind you, with the guys that LeBron couldn't win with. Except now he's winning with these guys. And Bradley Beal is not being the 35-point-a-night scorer or even shooting 40% from the field. The fact that they're winning ugly, they traded two all-star point guards in the last two years, and they managed to come out on top. And tell me, Jim Rome, when did you think the Washington Wizards, you could ever say that about them? They look pretty good, and I think they could wind up being a tough out in the first round. I think this was a foundational year for them and a great year for Wes Unsell Jr. Vincent Goodwill, I never thought that I would say that about the Wizards. I'm shocked, but we are, and it's legit. Listen, really quickly, the last time you were on, we were deep, deep in the middle of the Ben Simmons situation. Now we're 14 games in. The Sixers have lost four straight without Joel Embiid. What is your sense as to where things stand with Simmons and the team? It it still feels bad because – whether it's Ben Simmons having mental issues with coming back, which I'm sure he does, he wants no part of Philadelphia, whether you want to say that's faking or not, I'm sure he wants no part of that crowd, no part of that locker room, no part of that team. It's something that looks like Daryl Morey does not care because Daryl Morey doesn't have to play and Daryl Morey doesn't have to coach. And because Ben Simmons is away, you know, what investment does he have to have in that franchise? He doesn't he just wants to get out. I think if this were David Stern's NBA, this would be a lot different, but because it's Adam Silver's NBA, it might drag out a, a lot while longer, and I think that's really a sad case because the NBA is having a great season with a bunch of great stories, and yet there's this dark cloud hanging over. 
Mm, one last thought. So as a Detroit guy, and you know that team well, you covered that team, what are your early thoughts on Cade Cunningham? I think he's a guy that's going to figure it out as he goes along, Jim, because he's not the most athletic. I think people made the comparison to the athlete. I think he's a guy that's learning how to play. He didn't have a preseason. He didn't have a training camp with that ankle injury. But I've seen some poise from him late in games that you normally don't see from 19-year-olds. So while I'm, while I'm starting to get on the Evan Mobley train in Cleveland, I think he's got Tim Duncan written all over him. I don't think the Pistons will be in bad shape with Kay Cunningham. Even if he turns out to never be what Evan Mobley could turn out to be, I still think they've got a pretty good number one pick as time goes on and as he gains more experience. He is a senior writer for Yahoo. He did cover the Bulls for NBC Sports Chicago. He covered the Pistons for the Detroit News. He is the pride of Detroit. Good friend of the program, too. Vincent Goodwill. Vince, great job, man. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, man. Good night.